I'm Cody Royal, and this is the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is a panel discussion about the art of coaching and features Angus Reid, two-time Grey Cup winner with the BC Lions in the Canadian Football League, and Gary Kinnean, assistant coach at the Chicago Red Stars in the National Women's Soccer League. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, who have a special offer for you later in the show. But for now, enjoy the conversation. Gary Kinnean, welcome. Howdy, how are you? I'm doing really well. We've got Angus Reid here as well. Angus, how are you, mate? I'm doing fantastic, thank you. That's the way. I'm really looking forward to this one, guys. Um, this is a perfect pairing for me. I love talking about coaching. We've got you, Gary. Uh, you've been doing some work with the Chicago Red Stars. And uh, Angus, uh, you've spent a long time in the CFL and just released a book called Thank You, Coach. So I think we can jam on some pretty interesting ideas here. Uh, Gary, let's start with you first, mate. Um, we've known each other for a little while and, and you've coached at a bunch of different levels from the NCAA, professional level now, uh, as I mentioned. Um, and you, you live and breathe coaching. You've got the modern soccer coach ecosystem. You've got a podcast. You've got um, you do teaching and and an online education for people, um, and, and we've had plenty of chats about that. But um, I'd love to know from you, through all this experience, um, what's your kind of analysis on yourself as a coach and, and how you've progressed over the years? Yeah, um, I suppose my journey as a coach long story short, was moving in a direction that um, pretty naturally, like it was, I went from an assistant coach division to in, in the US here, um, to in the women's soccer, to a head coach at division two, to an assistant coach at division one, to a head coach at division one. And and that, without even thinking about mapping out a career, and then when I pretty halfway through or towards the the second, third year of being a head coach at Division One, I started uh, analysing it a little bit deeper and seeing where I was going, and I wasn't too happy with my development, and decided that I needed something a little bit different, and and wasn't really happy about the type of coach I was becoming. So wanted to be, a, I felt it was a little unnatural to me. So um, took a little bit of a leap of faith last year and wanted to do something a little bit different, and just decided to leave it uh, without having anything set up, which was a little bit nerve-wracking for um, for a month or two. But an opportunity then arose with um, with the Chicago Red Stars and as an assistant coach. And it was a level that I wanted to go and experience. And I also wanted to experience more from a playing. Like I felt as if I studied coaching for 10 years. And then I, I, I really wanted to see... Uh, almost uh, naively what the players were taking on and get a little bit close to the players and see how they were viewing it. So um, doing that for eight months was an unbelievable experience. The season finished in in uh, October. And yeah, it was, it was everything I dreamed of and a little bit more. Very, very cliche, but basically, you know, an, an opportunity to work with World Cup winners, to work with some of the best players in the world and see how they, yeah, how, how they view coaching and it was a real eye-opening experience, how they view information, how they view feedback, how they view systems. And um, I just felt as if it was um, 
it was a really intense learning experience and it was probably yeah it was about five years crammed in one um in terms of my progression as a coach i felt so yeah just coming off that now and then going back next next season uh really really excited about it well i love that you said that how the players view it because that's a perfect segue it's almost like you could uh, host a show here, Gary, but uh, into to Angus's <laughs> book, like I said in the in the intro, uh, Angus, you've just written a book called Thank You, Coach, which kind of chronicles the, you know, the lasting impact that uh, coaches have had on your life. And um, one of the things that I was thinking when I, I heard about the launch was that we do talk about coaching an awful lot, but we don't talk about being coached. Uh, so I'm curious from you, what made you write the book this way and, and rather than just, you know, kind of your, your regular memoir from a player and it would have been, you know, funny anecdotes from inside the locker room, but you've actually focused on being coached and, and the impact that it's had on you and your life, not just in football. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's, it really came down to exactly what the title of the book says is, is thanking coaches and that my story in this is of a particular coach that I had professionally for 11 straight seasons, and I think any coach or any player or anybody involved in sports could realize the uniqueness of that statement of having the same coach for 11 continuous years. Uh, you know, people just don't have careers that long on either side of the equation, let alone in the same team. And so I had this relationship that, that, delved, that dived very deep, and he came at an interesting point in my life where I was entering my third year professional, and I was really, really on shaky ground to make a career out of it. My first year, I bounced around on three teams. I'd never played one down. My second season, I barely made the team, and I was just a fringe player holding on. And then entering my third year professional with the BC Lions, a new coaching staff came on, and Coach Dan Durazio became my new offensive line coach. And from the moment I met him on, my career changed, and I ended up obviously playing 11 more seasons, 13 years total, won All-Stars, championships, and all, all the things that, that look great on a resume. But after a few years of retirement, you're able to reflect and realize how critical he was to everything that I was able to accomplish and how, and how just, just how impactful coaches can be on players. And, and I've seen the good and the bad and, and, and how he impacted me so greatly uh, on the field. And now I realize really in life. And, and I just thought it was important to one, thank him. And by extension, thank all coaches that do this and, and really though, leave the lasting impression of hopefully my book does to remind coaches of this great platform they have to impact a person far more than a player uh, to, to change people's lives that that'll last forever and to use whatever sport you're coaching as that platform to to facilitate interactions with somebody that will shape everything they do for the rest of their life based on, on how you impacted them because of the, uh, that position you're in as a coach. And, and you might be teaching a sport, but if you do it well, which my coach did, you're always teaching life. You're teaching things that transfer beyond the sport of play. And that's what my book did. I mean, each chapter is kind of a life lesson. And it's, it's their football stories because that's the sport I have. But really, they, they transferred anything in life. And, you know, it's just me bumbling around trying to figure things out. And there, there comes Coach Dan's wisdom to, to teach me how to do it right. And whether that be how to communicate, how to handle adversity, how to prepare, um, you know, how, how to handle wins, how to handle losses, how, how to master techniques. All, all the things that you need to be an athlete are the same things you need to be a successful person. And he was masterful at, at, at connecting with me as a person and showing me what it took uh, to succeed on the field. 
and now I realize it's what it, it, it takes to succeed in life. And, and I think that's the greatest gift uh, all the, every coach can do is, is, is prepare their players for life through teaching them a sport. That's fantastic. And let's open this up because I want to talk about this. And, and Gary, you and I have had some conversations around this. We, you know, we, we obviously come from three different sports. I'm from Aussie Rules. You know, Angus from the CFL, uh, you from from football, Gary. Um, what we can get bogged down in as coaches is the the X's and O's, can't we? That's all we want to talk about. And if you know, this happens on Twitter all the time. Is you know, everyone wants to talk about the tactics of you know Manchester United and Liverpool and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, now there's this whole uh, discipline of we're just impacting people and their lives, and and football's kind of laid over the top of it. Um, I'm interested in your uh, experience because you've been on the college side. You've, you know, you've been uh, in the professional environment now. Um, how has that changed for you in terms of, you know, you basically have to practice this stuff now, like how to get through to players on a personal level and then try and build on the tactical stuff that you want them to do every Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, it's really interesting. I find it, you know, fascinating from from my own journey is the fact that um, just what Angus is there. Like I, I've never. I've never felt that way as a coach. I've never felt like I was impacting and changing lives. Um, I just, I just don't think it's me. I don't feel like I'm a life mentor, but I do, I do feel like there's a, you know, there's there's huge, huge value to it. There's demand for it. But I always felt that whenever, I felt that whenever I was a Division Two coach, my responsibility was that the the that the players enjoyed their experience with the game. That it was a it was a refreshing two, three hours, whatever they were doing during the during the week. And then when it came to Division One I felt it was moving them outside their comfort zone, um, and testing them and challenging them and then bringing them back and then giving them support um on a on the soccer field and on the sports um aspect of it. And now as a player or from a from a professional player, I think it's it's about getting information through to them and then maybe, you know, they all want to do the work. And that's something where I feel that at, at the college level, not everyone wanted to do the work. So that's where I struggled with it. You know, I struggled with like, do they need a life mentor here or do they need someone that's going to, to tell them, you know, that listen, it's not all sunshine and rainbow here. You've got to get up and you've got to get to work and you've got to get after it. And, and I always felt that that was, um, yeah, that message was not always welcome. Whereas at the professional level, you don't, the words you don't have to use, like you don't have to talk about attitude as much. You don't have to talk about work ethic as much because they've got it all, they want the information. And I remember um, one of the first aspects, of, you know, one of the first training sessions, I had big on tempo intensity, and, and I was, you know, I kind of talked my way through exercises, and one of the players was just like, here, like, I need the information, Gary, I don't need the, the other noise that goes with it. And I just thought, like, that's brilliant, because I've just been tired of doing the, you know, the noise that goes with it. So if you're saying you don't need it, it's even better for me. Um, and that's where... That that's where the challenge is with these players today that I'm working with. I find that if they're looking for, they're looking for how to make them better. But you've got a window of opportunity. You can't spend 45 minutes trying every day. You know they've got a, an attention span or a window of opportunity that you've got to get through. And and that's the challenge that I'm, I'm really enjoying at the moment. So I'm interested on that point for you, Angus. Um, what did you feel like? Even let's talk about that idea of adversity and, and going through adversity as a player. Um, did you feel like you were being coached to or, or kind of coached with and you were going along on a journey with um, Coach Durazio? 
I, he always told us he was with us and, and I believed him. I, you know, I, I agree. I agree with, with Gary, a lot of what you said. I, I think about coach Durazio was, I don't think he'd say he was a life coach either. I don't think he went out of his way to sugarcoat anything or, or try to make us feel good. I think the greatest life coaching he did was exactly what you just said. He, he told us the truth. He held us accountable to the truth and gave us the information we needed to move forward. But he did, he did let us know that he was with us. He did earn our trust, which I think is, is kind of a hard thing for people to buy into, particularly in sports now where it, the higher level you get, the colder it becomes because the harsher the realities are. But when you are, you know, in, in make it or break it type scenarios every day of your life, you need to know the people that are instructing you. You need to know you can trust them. And you need to know the information they're giving you is really what's the very best for you as a person. And it, or else it's hard to, to buy in and you're hesitant. And I think, you know, I say this all the time. I think the most important thing you can ever say to somebody is the truth. I think the most powerful thing you can ever give to somebody is your full attention. And I think the most impactful thing you can ever do for somebody is hold them accountable. And I think any coach that does that, uh, you know, is, is a life coach. You're, you're giving people everything they need to, to know that you're there with them, to, to, to be honest with them and to challenge them to uphold a standard that's been set and, but let them know you're there with them every step of the way, because it's the same standard that they're hold, that they're accountable to and, and, and that they will demand of themselves. So I always knew he was with us. I always knew he demanded nothing but our absolute best. I knew, always knew he was going to give us nothing but his absolute best. But when it came down to it, I knew how much he cared about each of us as people, which made it very easy to go, go to war every day, knowing he was going to war right beside us. And I put my body on the line every day and everything I had knowing, knowing, trusting, and beyond trusting, knowing that he was right beside us doing the same. And I think that's very powerful in, in today's world where there's a, a natural hierarchy. And sometimes that line gets blurred where, you know, you think they're there and we're stuck down here as players. And there's a division of, of, of who's going to be held responsible more so than somebody else. And to know we're all in it together for real. Um, I found anyways, enables, enables us as players to, uh, you know, pull, 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 pull the governor break and go all in because the coach is just in the line as much as we are. And they're right beside us. And that to me is a, is a very powerful thing. Uh, no sugarcoating, no making you feel good, dealing with the truth, but dealing with it side by side and going into war and facing the dragons together. Yeah. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it, it gets talked about a lot now, even with the coldness that you mentioned, Agnes, and you know the NFL is is even colder than the CFL, and and it just kind of keeps ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. But the ones that can achieve that culture, where um, yeah, there's that that belief um, that the leadership is behind them and with them in the trenches. Those are the teams that seem to thrive, and you hear them talk about it consistently. It's what the Eagles said last year. The difference was, you know, going from Chip Kelly to Doug Peterson and, and that's the one that they all the players talk about is that he they felt like he believed in them more than Kelly did. Well, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you two sorry, I'll I'll give you two quick uh examples and I'll then I'll then I'll for, shut up for a minute, but no. in, in my book I, I I break down and it's an interesting one whole chapter was I, I titled it on the responsibility of being a pro. And I think we'd all agree sports is a different animal when you're talking little kids to maybe teenagers and then progressing through university or 
whatever the amateur leagues are right to professional. And it gets harsher and harsher and colder and colder because it becomes more of a business. And that's, that's just the reality of today's world. And so I titled one of, one of my chapters, the responsibility of being a pro. And I lead into it with the discussion I, I had about Dan and I asked him, would you go back to, would you ever go back to coaching NCA football? I mean, he coached at university of Washington he coached at Maryland. He coached all over the place. And he said, no. And I asked him why. And he said, because I'm a coach, I'm not a cheerleader. And I, <laughs> and I, and I kind of wanted him to elaborate. I think he was speaking to, to some things that Gary was, was pointing out earlier where he didn't want to have to uh, get us excited to go to work and cheer us on and make sure that we were, we, were, we were fired up to do this today. He wanted professionals where his job was to outline what we need to get done and instruct us and, and and we came with all the willingness and energy to do our jobs because it was our job and and that's that's what was required of us and that was always an interesting comment when i talk about coaching things that transfer to real life uh that has always stuck with me and i always thought that was the responsibility the responsibility of being an adult it's nobody's job to get us excited or motivated to do what we're supposed to do with our lives um there are people there to instruct and, and, and guide and, and correct and, and uphold standards but you should not require somebody to uh, really motivate you. You really shouldn't. You shouldn't need that when you get to this level. You need instruction and guidance, but you don't need or you should not require someone to make you feel good about what you've decided to do and get you excited to do it. I, I never thought that was, was, was needed. But the one other thing, back to the human point, I did another chapter on this. And, and, and at the professional level, that cold, harsh reality of, of, this, of this hard sport where people get cut every day, and it can be very um, impersonal. Uh, Coach Dan wrote every one of his offensive linemen, so there'd be maybe eight or nine of us in any given week, a personal letter the game day, every single game day we got one, either under our door or in the road or in our locker at home, home games. And they were individualized, customized, handwritten, long letters uh, telling, him how, telling us how proud he was of us and, and pointing out the things we'd done that week, specifically us, individual people, and reminding us why we are prepared because of things we've done and he's seen us do and why he couldn't be more proud to have us representing the team and he couldn't he couldn't be happier that we're his guys today or whatever it may be and i have every single letter you know 213 of them at home and as as, as harsh and demanding as he was he still connected on a human level so we knew that he actually acknowledged and cared about us about us as people and i'm telling you those little things make massive differences at least it did in my life and i know it, most of the guys that i played with it was the same i love that i've i've heard um i've heard similar stories uh was it dean smith at, at uh, north carolina um did a lot of similar things and would like give the guys money on their birthdays and and would do that for the rest of their uh, rest of his life um wow it, it's almost like uh parenting and uh you guys are both parents, and that's something that gets bandied around a lot. You know, you'd look at leadership theory on LinkedIn, and whether it's the business side of things, whether it's sports. Um, Gary, how much do you draw a line there between you know being a parent and kind of the the things that you do as a parent for for your kids and the the people that are in the locker room that you're there to take care of and teach and guide? Do you, do you see any difference, or, or do you try to embody the same things uh, with both? Great question. Never really thought of this. Um, always like my wife making all the tough choices. So maybe that's you're sitting on the psychologist couch here about why I don't want to be a head coach these days. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel that 
they are similar. Like you want the best for them and you want them to be challenged. And the conversations that that I, I probably, you know, go through the process with my wife in terms of like the conversations we have and the things I want from sport. And in terms of my dealing with the, with it is like, yeah, like I've, I probably, I'm a little bit better now with, with going through the coaching from seeing Sepp, like when he, when he goes crazy and when he has meltdowns, it's, I view it as a positive thing because it's a little bit of adversity. And I think today, you know, just like Angus is saying that the ability to go through adversity, like I, I had an unbelievable, like when I was nodding, when you're, when Angus is talking about that powerful impact, like I had that when I was a, um, when I was a college player and like that my college head coach became my boss and, and is now you know one of my mentors and I go to for nearly everything um, but I feel that today it's just the kids are are just not getting that type of adversity that we got to mainly because the independence is gone in today's society, not because they're they're a bad generation or anything. It's just there's less opportunities to be independent, so there's less opportunities to feel. So um, and and obviously there's there's a safety aspect as well. We don't want to throw my three year old out in the middle of the street tomorrow to they go ahead and deal with that. But I do want to put them in situations where um, you know he has to. He has to deal with things and he has to go and do things he doesn't like and maybe meet people he doesn't mean to meet and go to stuff like that there. And that's what, you know, that's where I think um, coaching has helped me. Whereas I think if I had have done it the other way around, I probably would have, um, I probably would have been running to pick up stuff when he, when he falls over and running to brush his knees. And now I think it's good where he falls over every now and again and has to deal with that. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of what I'm, what I'm going through every day with this boy. Well, let's go with that a little bit because this is an interesting one for me because it's it's easy to, you know, shake your fist and and say, you know, kids these days or be the angry guy in the back of the bar that's had two pints that, you know, is angry at everything that's modern. But the reality is there's a little bit of both. It's not so much about returning to, you know, the types of adversity that we went through when we were growing up, but it's about adapting that adversity um, to the modern world. So, you know, how can we get it? Because, you know, I'm, I'm even thinking about little things that we do at, at practice with Team Canada uh, around teaching adversity and, and little games that we can play and practice that are safe but are still within the realm of sport that are hopefully teaching a small lesson. It might not be a, a big life lesson like, you know, when uh, before cell phones when your mum was picking you up from the movies and if she didn't arrive, you just had to stand there at the the agreed upon place. That that taught you a certain lesson. But how can we do it as coaches um, and as leaders so that we are introducing those bits of adversity back into it? That question's for either, both. Um, let's just open the floor on that one. Uh, I, I have come around a lot because I think, three, four years ago, I would have said the parents should be, you know, it should be drop them off now. But I think the parents have kind of, you know, in doing, doing podcasts and talking to a lot of people, I've, I'm kind of coming along to the fact that the parents need to be educated in the process a lot more. And that's not that they should be a, a partner in it, but it should be that they should be, um, you know, an extension of what the experience is, because I think that's where, that's where, you know, that's, that's going to be the first hurdle I think if you're going to try and bring in any form of adversity, if it's um, if it's stretching them to any area where they're going to be uncomfortable, it's only going to go as far as what the parent are going to let them do. 
And even if it's playing them out of position, you know, and saying, all right, well, let's make them uncomfortable tactically. It's the safest thing. Sure, everything. There's nothing bad that could happen to it. But you're going to have uh, dad, you know, waiting for you after the field and and have a problem with playing time or stuff like that. And I just think that, you know, if, if coaches now can align themselves with connecting with that parent piece a little bit clearer and a little bit better and getting them on side and what they want to do. And maybe it's it's not dealing with it's not dealing with with the setback or with the adversity whenever there's emotion thrown on top of it, which is obviously going to make it probably a lot worse. Maybe it's getting ahead, you know, heads up to parents and like this is what this club's about. And this is what I'm going to try next week. And you know, I'd appreciate you supporting with it. It's easy for me to sit and suggest that, but I just think that might be a, a better way of doing it than you know having the parent and the kid up in arms about it. I would agree. I would agree with, with Gary wholeheartedly. I think the best thing you can do from the get-go is have clarity and understanding of, of what will take place. And I, I think you have to have those town hall meetings, if you will, where before things get going, the parents are there with the coaching staff administration at the young levels, and it's outlined very clearly and discussed openly before it begins the expectations for this year, what we're trying to get done, and how we're going to do it. I think the two greatest things that we can teach our young, our youth, shall we say, uh, is is real commitment to something, like actually committing to every part of the process, not being able to cherry pick what they want to do and leave out the parts they don't. I think that's a skill that transfers to the rest of life and will give them a head up on almost everyone else in today's world to understand this is what will be expected of you. This is when practice is every day that it is, and it's not come when you want to or because your family does other things. This is what's required. And I remember when I was young, you know, you didn't go to practice. It didn't matter what your reason was. You, you know, you, there was consequences. And I think understanding, look, this is, this is what we do here. Are you in or not? And then having some sort of accountability to those things. I, I think the, the, the younger we can teach our youth to, to what it is to what it means to really commit to something. And to kind of embrace all of it and not just do the fun stuff or the things you want. And then to actually understand some sort of accountability for your actions when you don't want to do it. And mom and dad say it's okay not to. Well, it's not because we've defined expectations and outlines. And I, I think those are important lessons that, that really, really pay dividends. And, you know, we're seeing, at least I see um, that lacking a little bit where there's, there's not a, a lot of accountability, um, a lot of, a lot of expectations have no teeth behind them. So you say things, but in the end, people get to do whatever they want and nobody really has to pay any consequences for anything. And people get to pick and choose their commitments, how, however, however it benefits them. And I think that's tough. I think that sets them up for an entitlement for the rest of their life and doesn't really give them a framework for reality. And I don't, I don't think it matters what sport you're playing or, or what activity you're doing to, to say at the front, at the front end, this is what we do here. This is how we do it. Uh, you know, we're going to hold everybody accountable to these standards. I think that's a powerful thing, and I don't think it happens much in this world. And I and I agree with Gary. It only works if if the parents are on board, because no matter what you do, um, if if the kids go home and hear the opposite message from home, then they'll be um, confused at best or angry at worst and fight it. So having the parents on board, but being very clear and actually upholding the standards is maybe the greatest reality lesson that, that that could be learned far beyond winning games and trophies and awards and advancing any type of individual accolades. I think that's such a universal 
conversation actually. And I, and I know it's, like I said, it's, it's easy to kind of point fingers at, you know, the young generation, but I think that, you know, I read the other day that there's a, a new thing that they're experiencing in the corporate world where people are ghosting in that, you know, they'll get two weeks onto the job and then just disappear and they'll never hear from them again. And, you know, that's people in their twenties and thirties that are doing that. So, I, um, yeah, I think it's it's much more. But where did that begin, though, right? But where, where where did that begin? Where where was that allowed in the front end? And it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I, you can't blame you can't. At least I I work in schools a lot, or I speak in schools a lot, shall I say? And it's you know you can't you can't blame the kids. They're going to do whatever they're allowed to do. Yeah, exactly. It's a learned behavior. And going back to my original point, I think part of it is that this is the first real age of abundance as well. So, you know, yeah. our parents didn't have abundance. They didn't have all these opportunities. And now there's travel and there's, you know, enough money to kind of go around, um, you know, an asterisk next to that comment. But everyone has things now. Everyone has the same cell phone, whereas in prior generations that hasn't been the case. And so, again, the, the lessons that were learned there are, are different and the environment was certainly different. Um, but, yeah, it, it's uh, I think it's a lot more widespread, but to your point as well, Angus, is it's still learned and there's still better lessons that we can be teaching everyone, whether it's through sport or, or some other way. Let's um, let's flip this a little bit then. Let's go back to the, to the top end and talk about pro athletes. Um, like you mentioned at the start, Gary, you're teaching the top of the top now. Um, and shout out to my girl, Sam Kerr. Um, we're all devastated that she went in the Ballon d'Or. But... Um, Talk about the difference in, in terms of coaching at the high end and, and how that's changed, I think, recently with, you know, sports science and some of the things that we didn't have not too long ago. And, um, yeah, just in terms of how we're getting performance out of uh, the, the top end athletes now and, and keeping them in an environment where they can perform, you know, to heighten levels more consistently and, and more throughout the year than they used to as well. Yeah, I mean, what what separates them for me is the is the level of awareness of you know that kind of the what their their body needs and you know that experience of because they've they're at a high level of technique like their te- their technical execution is just outrageous under no pressure it's just outrageously good so that's and their physical ability is is on a different level as well so that then says that they've spent time and and working on their on their fitness on their speed on their strength whatever and then they're working on their technique so their their level of like time on task and wanting to do the work is like i think i said earlier is is really really high i think like and they all want to get better i think where soccer is now is like for me the the level of science has come into the game is is fantastic is you know is is really really beneficial but it's also created a little bit of a void and how we communicate that there and how we communicate it to, you know, moving it from complexity to simplicity is, is becoming an art, I think, in soccer because we're getting more time with these players, but we're actually getting less attention span because, you know, they, they've just been, they've had so much and and they now want to know, you know, can, you, can we get to the point here? And that's that's what I really enjoy about it is that it's about detail and if you know if you don't get your if you don't get your communication right in terms of your preparation um they're always respectful they'll always continue the conversation 
with you, but I love the way that you you know that that's just not you've not nailed it. And I felt that at college, you didn't have to get your preparation right with your communication. You could you could throw anything really as if it was positive, and it was always embraced because it was positive. But these players don't need to be told that they're good, and they don't need to be told that they're the best or anything like that. There, they they just they want the information and they're. Um, and they want it in, in the right, you know, in the right manner that they can digest it correctly. So that's that's where I enjoy it, and that's where I think, you know, in, in soccer, where the, where soccer coaching is going, like you, you think you said it earlier, where social media has clouded it quite a bit in terms of the terminology, and as well, I think that the communication is becoming a role, and like Angus said, the communication from from coach to player, just in a, on a personal level, can get so much better. Um, and I think that's that's where coaches. It's going to come back because I, I've gone off on a bit of tangent here. But I, I I've said this to someone the other day. Is like every, all coaches in soccer are, are in danger of becoming very very similar. So everyone's in the race to become Pep Guardiola at the minute. And the ironic thing about that is that Pep Guardiola is such an outlier in his personality and his communication, but. People aren't taking that. They just want the tactic. They just want the top, the iceberg of it. And, yeah. and in racing to be like that there, everyone's going to become the same, which means all of a sudden, it's going to be a generic coach here in the next 10 years and the coaches are going to get exposed or the players are going to get exposed to it a lot earlier, which means they're going to shut down after, you know, the under 13 coach who's thrown every buzzword of the day at them is no longer going to be like, oh, wow, that's cool. They're going to be like, ah, listen, here he goes again. So the coach who can connect and the coach who can, you know, generate enthusiasm and inspire people to actually enjoy the game a little bit more, I think is going to come is going to come roaring into um, ascendancy in, in the soccer coaching in the next ten years. I really think it's going to come around to that. Let's go with this. I love this communication topic because this is where kind of the idea from for this whole podcast came about was I wanted to kind of explore you know, the minutiae of coaching and, and some of the finer points of it. And and one of them is communication. And one of the ideas that I got was from comedians in cars getting coffee, which is just Jerry Seinfeld going and picking up another comedian. But they talk about, you know, the, the finer details of comedy, which is ultimately about communication. And so I was wondering as sports coaches, how we can do similar kind of things where, you know, we're, we're essentially teaching ourselves to communicate and to have people, you know, hold on a certain message and, and deliver a certain point at the right time so that it's taken on board. Um, I'm interested in your perspective on this, Angus, because you've already mentioned a couple of small communication things that that you valued from your coach, but I'm sure it was much more widespread than, you know, the letter in the, the locker as well. Yeah, it, you know, Dan was a, or is a, a master communicator, at least, at least in my lifetime of sports. I I hadn't seen anyone like him and I've taken a lot of pearls of his wisdom and whether he intentionally did this stuff or not, I don't know. I'm sure he did because it was unique, at least in my world, simple things. Uh, you know, look, once you get to the professional level, I think we'd all agree you're dealing with such elite athletes that there's also elite egos. A lot of the time, you know, <laughs> these people know they're special. They, they know they're gifted and not that you have to baby them, but you're also always fighting that fine line of of getting what you got to get through to them without them having to ego guard first because the second you 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 put them in the ego guard state 
they're not going to be open to receptively learning. They're going to protect the ego and, and not that you have to baby them because they want to be challenged, but that comes down to the words you choose. And, and, and I've always said, nobody, nobody trusts a message. They trust the messenger and it's how you convey the message that really matters. And the objective is to, to get the point across and get the information to them without them thinking you're attacking them because whether you need to or not, that's not going to help. They're going to close off. And a few things that Dan always did great, and I didn't realize this till later in my career, why I was so receptive to him always. Uh, he, he rarely asked why questions. You know, why were you doing that? Why were you doing that? There was a lot of what's and how's, and I, I didn't get the subtlety of that, but the why was a very attacking question. You immediately, you know, you immediately think that he's coming after you and, and you as a person. And he'd always ask, you know, what was the thought process on this play or, or how, how were you looking at things here? And it was subtle, but this is very powerful. And another thing he did, and maybe lots of coaches do this, I'm not sure, but when we would review film, which we reviewed all the time, and every time you're reviewing film, you're picking apart issues that need correction, right? You're trying to improve what's going on out there. And so you got this big screen up there and, you know, it would have been very easy to say, you know, Angus's footwork is terrible. We need, we need the footwork to improve. But he wouldn't do that. He would always move it a little bit away from, from me. And, and, you know, the footwork here needs improvement. And they, that may sound very subtle, but that's the footwork that needs improvement. It's not Angus that needs improvement. And I'm not trying to make it sound like you're trying to deal with babies, but the objective of a coach is to have the player be receptive to your information and never think that you are attacking or judging them as a person because there is ego guarding that happens naturally. It happens to anybody. You know, you feel you're being attacked by somebody, you're not going to want to go, yes, I want to listen to you and help. It's how dare you think I'm this bad or coach doesn't like me, coach thinks I suck, therefore my performance goes down, you know. And he was very clear that I didn't suck, my footwork did or, or my hand placement did. And it was always the hand placement that needs improvement. We need to get the hand placement inside or whatever the technique may be. And that's a very subtle thing, and he never once discussed any of that, but it made it very easy to stay focused on the correction because it was just the hand placement. It wasn't me that needed correcting. And again, it comes back to knowing that they're there with you, and they just want to improve what needs improving, and that's not me as a person, and it has nothing to do with coach beating up on me, coach attacking me, coach thinks I suck. We're just correcting mistakes. And and. I could, I could only imagine how much more important that is at a youth level when you're dealing with impressionable teenagers and they're always, you know, they're always on edge. Does coach like me? Does he think I'm any good? Does he think I'm terrible? And that can influence the rest of their day with all their interactions with their friends, uh, their, their relationship with their girlfriend, with their parents. If they're down, they're down. And, and, and they're very impressionable of what coach says. And if you remove that sort of, uh, uh, you know, that, that sort of critique of them and it's just, you're just improving technique, I think can go a really, really long way. And they might not even realize the difference of it, but it's, it's, it's powerful. And it allows communication to stay open and to stay receptive to improving and not ever think that there is a, a personal attack, which may sound uh, soft. I don't know. But the objective, I think, as a coach is to be effective. And I always found that to be extraordinarily effective and it, and it didn't waste any time of, of trying to rebuild any damage to a person because we're just trying to fix techniques and, and issues uh, that, are, that we're seeing, not, not, not the people in the room. And there's so many lessons for 
everyone to learn when you're addressing the group anyway. So like you said, talking about the footwork in general, uh, a bunch of the players are sitting in there thinking that their footwork could have improved anyway. Like they've already sure. clued onto that. The coach doesn't need to tell them, which I think is one of the missing pieces um, across the board in coaching is most of the players know anyway. So you're not pointing out too much that they didn't already know. Um, yeah. And yeah, to your point, I think that is extremely powerful. And and to go back to your point, Gary, as well, I, I think, you know, in terms of copying guys like Guardiola and because we have all these documentaries now, we can go inside the rooms with Man City, we can go inside the rooms with the All Blacks and the Dallas Cowboys and and see all these pro coaches. But ultimately, it's, it's not about copying them. It's about... Uh, adapting to the group that you're coaching. And funnily enough, that is what someone like Guardiola does. Like I'm thinking in terms of he's coached in Spain, he coaches in Spanish. He's coached in Germany, he coaches the players in German. He's coached in England, he coaches them in, in English. And to be a communicator like that and to be able to kind of be that father figure that they need, be the, the person that communicates the X's and O's that they need, um, that's extremely challenging. So he's obviously a, a high, high, high level communicator to even be able to do that, let alone all the other stuff that he does, like going to a deep squat in the middle of a, a speech to the team at halftime, which stood out to me in the first scene of the, the Amazon documentary. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's really not about copying, is it? It's, it's about being authentic and then adapting to what the team need and the communication style that they need. Yeah, well, I think... What we always, what we fail to look at as coaches, because, and especially in coach education, which I feel in soccer kind of sets us up for failure, because we never, we never address what happens when it all goes pear shaped, like, and it always does. Like, there's very hard to sustain success for X amount of years without a form of, you know, nobody is even Alex Ferguson when things were going well had tough times, so. Whenever things are going bad and and you haven't created it, then you will blame something else. And I think that's what happens to coaches a lot in soccer, where it, especially with a possession-based system, and it's a complex system like Guardiola's doing. If you, if you haven't created that, then you don't really know the intricacies of it. So when it breaks, which it will, you will blame the players. And then the reaction to that, I think, conditioned reaction in college is that, okay, I need better players. So what I'll do is I'll go out and, you know, spend 12 hours a day looking for more players, spending less time with the ones I actually have to get them any better. And then I think, with, you know, what that does then is it, it, it takes away the enjoyment of actually coaching as well. <laughs> so are we producing better coaches whenever they're spending X amount of time looking for better raw product, raw materials? And, and I don't think we are. I don't think coaching is about... Well, there is an aspect of recruitment, of course, but that's not 85% of coaching. And you, you couldn't convince me that it is. You know, you can, and that's what people are arguing with yesterday with Mourinho versus Klopp. And, you know, if, if the players can't five, pass the ball five yards and they're not, they're not worthy to wear their shirt. But, you know, I think we've seen enough in modern day sport that you can do more with less these days. And I think we should be looking for ways to do that rather than, you know, promoting that, there's a magic way here and talking with a Spanish accent is going to make it happen. Totally. And I actually, I get a lot of my inspiration from other sports. So I don't necessarily copy ideas from my own sport. I actually 
take them from someone like Guardiola because I can adapt it to Aussie rules. And um, it kind of precludes me from from copying other people but also allows me to innovate within the sport, which is, um, you know, something that we're, we're trying to create a competitive advantage out of. Angus, in your sport, in football, and let's we'll talk Canadian and, and uh, the NFL here, like, who do you look to at the moment that's, that you think is really leading the way in terms of coaching their players? And I, I want to focus on kind of the, the player side. So not necessarily the game plan is better, but, you know, as you've been clued into all this stuff in terms of the intricacies of coaching and its effect on players, like who are you looking to at the moment that you think is doing good work? Well, it's funny. It's usually usually you look for the youth to to usher in sort of the 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 new wave of doing things. And and I'm still a, a huge fan of Pete Carroll in Seattle. And I correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's the oldest coach in the NFL. If not, he is. Um, he, he's he's one of the two. I mean, he's 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 right up there. And yet, I think he. And I never thought he'd be the kind of coach I'd like to play for. And I have no idea, but. He seems to understand how to connect with his players where they are today without losing the integrity of, of, of being their coach. And I think that's a tremendously fine line where you start, you know, people throw around that phrase players coach. Well, you know, and a lot of people think that that means they're easy. You know, they, they, they make it fun for the players, which makes it a, an environment because they understand the player. And some people, I think, misinterpret that as they're easy on the players and I don't know Coach Carroll, I haven't played with him, and I'm just someone that watches from afar, but I think he he's extremely demanding of his players. But I think he understands who they are, what makes them tick, and puts them in environments that that allows them to feel good about what they're doing so so they perform at their best. And you know, I <laughs> I'm traditionally more of an old school guy. Like I don't think I don't think I could ever be someone that would uh if I was coaching to you know, play music during practice or, or, or do some of these things that seem fun and upbeat. But again, you talk about adapting to, to who you're with and, and, and what you're, what you're, you know, what you're trying to maximize. And he, he has players and he understands what makes them tick without losing what matters most in terms of demanding excellence to win football games, but not being so stubborn as saying, this is how I want to do it. He's able to look at it and go, what is best for these players to be their best? And I think he's brilliant. I think a guy at his age that can continuously adapt to players that are, um, you know, three times younger than him and still understand them as people and, and be fine changing to what they need. I think a great a coach, a coach that tries to make players give him what he needs has missed the boat. And their job is to give the players what they need to be their best and then hold them accountable to that standard. And I, I think he's brilliant. He's an interesting case study, isn't he, in terms of, yeah, the the older guys aren't traditionally what you would associate with this kind of newer school methodology. And even to the point where I think once he'd left New England, there was basically the idea that he was done or the, the current iteration of himself and his coaching style might have been done. And um, then, you know, completely reinvents himself and, and comes back on the other side of the country with Seattle and, and USC. And he's certainly very interesting as a character. And I know that, you know, him and Mike Gervais have, have created this company that's going in and, and taking a lot of their leadership philosophies into the business world, which is, again, just shows you how kind of universal some of these 
things are that uh, that they're implementing? Well, look, at the end of the day, I think I think uh, Gary spoke about this at the beginning. It's, you know, people keep chasing better X's and O's and, and better strategies, but the great coaches are able to connect they know it's a people business, you know, and if you can, you're getting the best talent at the pro at the pro level. I mean, that's, you're getting the best talent there is. And, and how can you relate to them to a level that they will give you their very best? And that's just connecting with people. You know, that's, that's not strategy. That won't do that. A playbook won't do that. Only a coach that, that, that gets out of their own ego and looks at their team and says, what can I give to them? What can I do for them? So they, will give everything they have. And, you know, and it's funny. It's funny I talk about Coach Carroll like that because I think myself, I, I kind of, I, I'm kind of more of a Vince Lombardi guy. Like, I kind of like that old school toughness, but that's just me talking about me. That's not looking at a team and what they need. That's just me personally. And that's where I think I got a Coach Carroll's great because at his age, he, he probably was raised in old school tough football. It probably was in his bones and his, in his, in his roots probably. And that's just what football was. But, He's adapted. He's evolved. And to survive and to thrive is to is to adapt and realize what is needed today to win and what is needed to give these players an environment that they will uh, that they, they can succeed in. And I, I think it's great. And you're right. I think that's every business owners or business leaders objective is how do I connect with my people on a level that they will bring their very, very best to work every day? How could you ever ask for anything more? And Gary, same question to you. We've talked about Guardiola, so we'll eliminate him, but who do you look to in the football world? And I know you've got some GAA influence there as well from the homeland, but who do you look to that, that you think is doing great work at the moment? I like some of the the younger guys that are coming through with uh, that are getting promoted into jobs. Um, Michael Beale. A big, big fan of Michael Beale. He's a, he was a youth developer at Liverpool, went over to Brazil with Sao Paulo. Um, Kieran McKenna, who's actually a young guy, worked with with Tottenham. Uh, he's about 35. Mourinho um, took him as his assistant this year. And then there's the interesting one, actually, this past week, is there's a, there's a Gaelic football guy who was the All-Ireland champion like uh, 10 years ago. With a with a county that with less resources than others, and he kind of he kind of done tactically reshaped the game slightly in Gaelic, and then decided he wanted wanted to pursue a soccer career, so went to Celtic um, and did uh, worked under like a psychology role, and then done an under nineteen team and worked under a few managers there, and then went worked with Roger Schmidt as his assistant in China, and then last week took the job with Charlotte Independence over here. So um, really, really excited to see what he does. But because and I, was, I was arguing with someone the other day, like I think actually what Angus is saying, I completely agree with your ability to communicate today. Um, it's that ego is actually, I think with more awareness now, we seem to have more awareness online. And, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone. Like I post a tweet out and, get X amount of favourites or whatever and and but most people are probably liking it or favouring it or whatever for because they think they're that, you know. <laughs> like I I think that we, we need a bit more humility in it and I think we need a bit more um our personalities, you know, being comfortable 
you know, like go back to that creating, being comfortable in, in your own body, being comfortable in your voice, being comfortable who you are as a person and, you know, being comfortable admitting your weaknesses. I think that's what the coach of tomorrow will be. And, and I think that people that have the ability to communicate at a high level in, in, in American sports have always done, like, you, you know, you've, you look at them, their press conferences. Actually, I don't watch a lot of NFL, but I think it was yesterday. I was out for dinner, and Rex Ryan was on the TV, and um, and I was like, my word, what unbelievable communicator! And I, <laughs> I have no interest. I I could just sit there listening to him talk about, and I didn't know what he was on about, but just the way these guys can can talk and listen. And then I think, right, well. Are we, you know, is the coaching community in soccer, young coaching community, aware of how important that is? That you can sit in with all these ideas with a group of players, and if you're not exciting or if you're not exhilarating with your ideas, you you won't be, you won't get through the door. And I think that that's where I've gravitated as a coach to people who, who just have a way of yeah, they've they've got a different way of thinking maybe, or maybe it's a higher level of thinking or a high level of thinking, but. I just I gravitate towards energy and the communication piece and um and and I hope that's right like I hope that's a difference maker because if it is then I think we're going to be in a good place for five to ten years in youth sports over here because we've got everything else like we've got the foundation set we've got the players playing um I just think that that connection between coach and player can be a bit stronger. Well, going back to my point originally around the the comedy piece as well that's why I like that analogy because it's literally what you do as a comedian. You stand up there and you've mastered language and you've mastered uh, your voice and, and how to put emphasis on certain words and when to do it and then when to reintroduce a certain message. And and um, I, I think there's something there legitimately in terms of um, a, a coaching development. And it doesn't need to be stand-up necessarily, but I think there's ways for us to, to continue to learn and innovate in that space so that we can keep our players on the hook and keep them interested and be entertaining and and not just be the kind of rah, 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 um, you know, go out there and, and, and beat them down kind of coaches of the past and um, and actually deliver the, the key messages that we're looking to. And, and on the other side, you know, have them interpreted the proper way that we intended to uh, once they get to the player as well. Um, so we'll see where that, that space develops. Um, I'm curious, guys... Um, Away from kind of the, the, the sports world and the coaching world, um, what are you guys into at the moment? Like what's um, – is there a podcast you're listening to, books that you're reading? Um, what are you kind of intellectually challenged by at the moment? I'll start with you, Angus. Uh, I, I read a lot and I, I read a variety of things. I think I'm the kind of guy that probably has 10 books on the go and they're anything from – coaching books, the Nick Saban, how good do you want to be to a book on RCMP development to uh, <laughs> one on character, the road less traveled. I, I, uh, I have a lot of reading and I kind of just always have them on the go with a, with a yellow Sharpie. I, uh, I write, I try to write an article uh, that I just sort of post online once every couple of weeks. And there anything from uh, things I've learned from coaches, lessons I've learned uh, but I'm very busy speaking at the time at the moment though I, I travel a lot speaking to either young teams, university teams, but businesses a lot in terms of what we talked about today. Uh, lessons learned in the sports field that we can transfer to uh, 
businesses and team culture. So that's, that's what's taking up a lot of my time and a newborn. I have a three week old at home with a three year old. So <laughs> life is busy. Congratulations on that too. Thank you. Gary, what about you, mate? What are you delving into at the moment? You got a bit of time off. So what's, what, how are you occupying yourself away from the football stuff? Yeah, similar with the family stuff there. Um, I've also, I, I just finished up a book there. So I was trying to get that knocked out. Um, and I met my target for that. So I'm just getting back into book. Read a great book last week um, that was about a young guy from Ireland called um, Paul Ferris. It was called Boy in a Shed, and he basically a young guy, kid that goes to um, from Ireland goes to Newcastle United, and you know just as, as soon as he's about to break through, 18 years of age, he you know injury destroys him, and he becomes a doctor. Um, with the team and then he becomes a barrister and then he becomes Alan Shearer's assistant with his medical staff. It's an unbelievable story, but it's it's like it had me in tears. It's the most emotionally gripped book I've ever read. So then I'm into it now. So I'm into, and then I've started Tiger Woods's biography there at the weekend. Um, really enjoying that there. Something, something different. Um, I'm, I love, I love, uh, Books and podcasts that can take your mind somewhere that can almost change it. And I'm a massive Malcolm Gladwell fan, you know, that can, you, you're programmed to think this direction and they're like, yeah, that's what I believe. Yes. And then like 30 minutes later, you're looking back going, oh, wow, I'm so stupid to think that there, you know? And uh, so I, I really enjoy that there and, and I'm trying to move a little bit more into studying people who were successful and that's why I picked up the Tiger Woods book who are successful in doing things a different way um I would like to look a little bit more at artists and musicians to look at that creativity piece and see what you know it's not just the 100,000 or a thousand hours or whatever 10,000 hours rule it's you know what was it that kind of made them stood up and become a little bit different and that's something that um I want to get through in the next couple of months I think that's why you and I get along so well. That where others won't is uh, is a very deliberate name of a book, and that's because I'm I'm obsessed with uh, particularly teams. How teams got to a certain point by using different tactics, as you know. Hmm. What uh, you tell me then? Uh, I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna get Angus's book then over the break. So <laughs> what, what are uh, what are you reading then, Cody? What's what's new for what should I be digging into on the on the business side or? I think the big Anything one, there? the big one at the moment that I'm reading, uh, which is very enlightening, is Radical Candor, and it's um, it's to be honest with you, it's it's kind of what we've been doing in pro sport or in sport in general for quite a while, but it's the application of that openness and transparent communication within the workplace, and so it's really interesting because you, you kind of read it from a sports perspective and you're like, yeah, this is pretty basic, but then. You know, because of the new dynamic in the workplace and and some of the rules and, um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting because you'll see some of your coaching tactics used and and then see how they work in the workplace or how they've worked at a place like Google. Um, so I'm really enjoying that one at the moment. But I'll send you a list. I've got a list of 25 recommendations right away that uh, just books that have mm. blown my mind. There's a lot of good content, particularly around teams in, in the business space at the moment. It's uh, it's booming. All right, lads, let's do final plugs. Uh, where can people find you, whether it's online? Uh, how can they get in touch with you? We'll start with you, Gary. Where can people find your work? 
Yeah, I do a lot of work on social media, so pretty easy to find. Um, at Gary Cornine on Twitter, do a little bit on Instagram as well, and then uh, if anyone wants to reach out, yeah, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. You've got a huge following on Twitter too, mate. Just mention that. <laughs> lots of a lot likes. More, a lot, lots uh, of uh, likes. I've, <laughs> I've never seen someone get so many likes so quickly on a post. <laughs> so it's either a lot of people that are really into you or a lot of bots. A lot of bots, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Angus, where can we find your book? Because we all want to buy it. And then uh, also, how can we get in touch if we want, to, um, want you to come and speak to our teams? And, and all the rest of the things that you're doing. Sure. Uh, the book is called Thank You Coach. Easiest distribution is through all the Amazon platforms, depending on whatever country you're in, it's there. My website is Angus Reed, that's R-E-I-D, angusreed64.com. Uh, if, you have, if you need me for anything that you want me to come in and live and chat or whatever you need, uh, Twitter, angusreed64, and Instagram, angus underscore reed64. Uh, I'm pretty active on, on social media. I don't get quite the response Gary gets, but I try. <laughs> and uh, we have fun out there. And look, I'm, I'm out and about and just, just, just trying to do good and spread the good word and help where I can. Absolutely, mate. Love that. Hey, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And uh, another episode packed full of really good ideas, really intellectually stimulating discussion. And I'm sure everyone has taken a, a whole heap of notes there. I certainly have. So thank you both for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Cody. Thanks, Angus. Thanks, guys. That was fun. Cheers, guys. At this stage of the show, most podcasts will ask you to go and leave them a five-star rating, but I'd rather you go and check out Leaders in Sport. I've got an exclusive offer for you to claim one of 100 free trials of their online membership with unlimited access for a month. The Leaders Performance Institute gives you members-only access to their entire catalogue of content, which includes contributions from many of the guests you've heard on this podcast. As a member, you'll get full access to daily articles, deep-dive performance reports, industry trends, and event videos. Plus, I'll be writing a monthly column throughout 2019. There's only 100 free trials, so jump on this now before they run out. Visit leadersinsport.com forward slash Cody to claim your free membership for the month. The Where Others Won't podcast is recorded at Apollo Studios in downtown Toronto and is produced and edited by Adam Esker. You can book me to speak by the Where Others Won't book or send me an email at codyroyal.com.